Hello, everybody, once again for a special edition of the North American Soccer Show. This is officially episode seven, but it's a bit of a special one. We talked a few weeks ago, back before the MLS regular season was slated to start as early as it was, that we were going to get into some scouting episodes, and, and we're, Chris and I here are both delighted to bring you uh, the very first of which, where we'll be covering Paraguay with Roberto Rojas. Uh, so first and foremost, Chris is my regular partner in crime uh, on this North American Soccer Show. How are you? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm really good, thank you. Uh, glad to be here. To give Roberto a little bit of an intro, uh, he has had an extensive amount of work published in a variety of different mediums over the years, and he's widely known as an expert on Paraguayan football, among other things. Uh, he's currently one of the hosts and creators of Low Limit Football and the Low Limit Football podcast, which can be found on iTunes, it can be found on SoundCloud, but just about everywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, and can also be found doing work for BN Sports and WSHU Public Radio, a partner of NPR. Roberto, it's been it's been a pleasure to have you here, um, and we're we're really excited to get to get to get you talking about Paraguayan soccer and some of the some of the Paraguayans that we'll we'll, we'll be seeing uh, or have been seeing in the MLS uh, over the over the course of the season. No, very well. Thank you so much for the introduction. I'm glad to be back, and yeah, I'm absolutely excited to go on to a. A topic that obviously is close to my heart, as many people perhaps know or have followed me over the years, and just um, been kind of fortunate enough to have seen the sort of rise of Paraguayans in, in the sport and how I've been able to just follow it and, and talk about it. So happy to be on and can't wait to, to talk about it. Well, it's good that you bring that up because I actually, I, I kind of want to start along those lines. There are a few Paraguayans that I want to talk to you more specifically about here shortly, um, but I want to ask you first. We we did a few episodes together three to four years ago concerning Paraguayans, both in the MLS and abroad, and it seems like the Paraguayan profile from a footballing perspective has has reached new heights in, in the time it's been since we last spoke. So just kind of a, a as a general overview, uh, how do you assess the, the outreach of Paraguay in 2020 and looking forward? Uh, and do you see its development continuing over the course of, say, the next decade? Well, I think it's been quite a interesting rise, I would say, for Paraguayans as a whole. I think what we're seeing in this kind of changed landscape of how the the game is changing more than ever, that we're seeing a lot of countries uh, emerge uh, from places that perhaps weren't considered powerhouses many years now ago, but now you get to see them suit up in the top teams all across the world. I think for Paraguay, you know, they do bring a, a history to them, considering that they were a nation that had qualified to four consecutive World Cups uh, in the late 90s, all the way up to the 2000s. And, and also just, you know, been a powerhouse in South America as a whole and, and you know, have been successful from a club standpoint. It, it really has been quite interesting to see how, you know, so many Paraguayans are, are playing all across the, the world, really. I think specifically speaking about MLS, I know we're going to get into some of the players that have been uh, involved in perhaps the rise of, of the reputation of Paraguayan players is that, you know, it's a small country that is, you know, right in between two big powerhouses like Argentina and Brazil and also their neighbor to the east in in Uruguay, who obviously have half the population of Paraguay, but also, you know, a huge history with two World Cups and 15 Copa America. So, you know, it, it's been a interesting rise, at least in the last couple of years. You know, the big men- mention that we have to talk about is Miguel Miron, how he 
has risen from being one of the best players in MLS and then making that jump to Newcastle that would help him earn his reputation as the best Paraguayan player in the world right now, or at least in my opinion. But then, of course, you got the many Paraguayans that were influenced by that now heading into MLS or that will come into MLS soon. Um, and, and the many other Paraguayans that are playing in Mexico and Brazil and Argentina um, and all across Europe as well. I think the development will definitely be dependent on how it will it will be like for the club game and the national team game heading into like competitive matches such as the World Cup qualifiers or you know, the or the Copa America or or for for talking about clubs like you know playing in the Copa Libertadores or the Sudamericana, you know that would help raise the game and and raise the the exposure of these players. So it's it's a slow burn of. Uh, of a rise for them, but I definitely do see the potential and it, it's been very nice to see, I should say. Well, and before we touch on Almiron, because I, I don't think you can, I don't think you can spend even 10 minutes on, on Paraguay and, and Paraguayan soccer players without touching on Almiron. Um, you make a good point in terms of the, the, the development and the, the, the sort of slow burn rise that we're seeing out of Paraguay right now. And, there's a whole host of countries in the world that do seem to kind of have that sort of topsy-turvy, upside down. Sometimes they, they, they're, they're working with a, one of the better generations that they've ever had of, of soccer players, and sometimes they're in a big slump. Um, and with, with Paraguay looking to be on the cusp of one of these, of one of these ups, so to speak, do you think a lot more of the exposure uh, of, of Paraguayan soccer players is coming more from the development of players in their home country leading to them moving abroad and showcasing their talents in, in leagues that potentially do get a little bit more exposure. Do you think that um, a lot of the emphasis, I know we talked last week uh, on the North American soccer show that there's been a huge emphasis on, on scouting and there's been a, a, a large increase in, in the amount of effort and the amount of money that goes, goes into scouting across the world and into to, to statistical development and, and into looking into data and these sorts of things. And do you think that potentially the, the increase of exposure to Paraguay and Paraguayan soccer players comes from that sort of focus on looking for the diamond in the rough or the, 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 the needle in the haystack per se? Well, I think it's a mixture of a lot of things, really. I think you brought up good points in saying that, you know, we live in an age where at least here in 2020, where, you know, people can, you know, not just only go to games if you're scouting, you know, you could find streams or you can, you know, go on YouTube or, as you said, you could, you could rely on places that have, you know, data and, and different types of analytics to assess a player and how good they are. It, it's become so advanced over the last few years that it does help a lot of players, not just Paraguayans, but players all around the world to get more exposed and, and to find the ones that, that could work well for set club and, and to develop them into, into great players. Um, in terms of Paraguayans, I mean, you know, it, it is hard, I think, as well, as I'd mentioned beforehand, to, to really be in a, in a market where you're competing with Brazilians, Argentines, Uruguayans, Chileans, Ecuadorians, Colombians, and so on and so forth, that, you know, you have to, there's always that one or a couple players that will stand out and be, the big stars for a team. Mm. I mean, I don't think we've seen it yet for a Paraguayan yet, or at least not in quite some time, but uh, it's just trying to break from that, to break that stereotype. I mean, you know, I don't want to use a direct 
um, comparison, but look at something like Peru, for example. You know, Peru had made it to the World Cup two years ago for the first time in 36 years. And while they did obviously have players that have developed into great players during that time period that they didn't make the World Cup, maybe there was just a sense that, you know, we're not confident in them. And so when you're playing in the biggest matches in your continent or in your nation or wherever it may be, if you're able to stand out as best as you can, then that, that, that helps you a lot. I mean, you know, playing in the Premier League would help someone like me on my own, obviously, get exposed by millions of people all around the world. You know, it doesn't matter if you're fans or journalists or scouts. And, you know, the, the market has changed so much and it has evolved into a, a juggernaut where you could find basically any player in the world and you can have all the stats that you need at your fingertips it's it really does help these paraguayans you know get that exposure and you know obviously there has to be a bit of luck i think in everything when you when you try to be a a professional footballer and to become that next step then anything can happen really and so yeah i think the exposure does help a bit but it's also a mixture of how we've seen different forms of analyzing and, and, and scouting be much more advanced as well well, and performing at a high level definitely doesn't hurt either. And 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 one Paraguayan that that we know has performed at a very high level in the past and is is continuing to do so, albeit in a in a different format uh, abroad, is is Miguel Almiron, a, a player I know Chris will be delighted to talk about as well. <laughs> so we have to touch on him. Um, I, I don't know how much you can put on the head of one player in terms of being a trailblazer of sorts for Paraguayan soccer players. But if there ever was one for Paraguay in recent times, it would have to be Alamiron. He had some tough times upon making his move overseas, but the management style of play and administration of Newcastle United, which is a entire podcast unto itself, <laughs> surely played a part in that. And since his first season there, he really burst onto the scene in 2019, 2020 as a crucial cog in Newcastle's play. And, and, and more importantly, their creative play on the pitch. Does his exposure via the Premier League, via Newcastle, prop up Paraguay in a positive way in your eyes? And does his success abroad help to establish or inspire other Paraguayan soccer players that make that leap from their home country, whether it be to the Premier League or or to to the Brazilian League or over here stateside? Yeah, I, I think you have to also, I mean, I'm sure that we'll, we'll get onto this in a bit, but you look at how many Paraguayans that are now playing in MLS. Um, you know, I was reading a couple of stats beforehand that before Almiron came into the league, I think there were like three or four Paraguayans, and now there's more, almost a dozen, maybe a bit more, that have, have played in the in the league ever since. So it's definitely helped him so much. Um, obviously, his contrib- contribution to the team helps him become much more exposed and, and be more viewed in a positive way, which which obviously helps the country as well. But at the same time, I think it does serve as an inspiration for many young Paraguayans that are like, hey, you know, you could be just like him. You know, you could, if you work hard and if you are able to be humble and, and do what you need to do, you can go from playing in Paraguay to probably the most popular league in the world and make millions of dollars. So I, I think... Um, I think he has helped prop up the nation in a positive way, especially for a nation that obviously was viewed one time as a powerhouse in South America a generation or so ago. I think it really has been quite a 
a, a honor and a privilege to see him perform so well in England, because as you know, you know, there have been Paraguayans that have played in the Premier League, but perhaps none that have shown the, um, the level of, of importance and, and to help a team. And obviously, you know, we can talk about Newcastle all we want, but you have to look at the stats that he has, you know, top goal scorer um, for Newcastle this season in all competitions. A crucial player playing in that midfield despite initially playing as a player uh, in his wrong position and then obviously being moved at the later half of the season. You know, and obviously have shown a lot of positive um, comments from Newcastle fans alike. So, you know, you add that all in, and, and of course social media has a huge play in that as well. You know, why wouldn't you be proud if you're a Paraguayan to see uh, a fellow countryman play in the most popular league in the world? I mean, you know, there are many Paraguayans that are, are always expected uh, every time that Newcastle play because they want to see uh, Almiron play. You know, they want to see him mm. do well. It's it's normal, and I think that's natural for many, you know, players that perhaps uh, are coming from nations that are not as popular and maybe have only a few players playing in that league. You know, I mean, I don't want to make a big comparison as well, but, you know, like, look at someone like Hong Min Song, who's extremely popular in South Korea and, you know, are always um, expectant of what, what he does at, at Tottenham. So it, it kind of really is a, a, a kind of a, a follow into his life where, you know, his success does help a lot of Paraguayans um, get inspired of saying that, Hey, you know, I want to go to MLS. I know I want to perform well into a league that could help me springboard into a top league, maybe not just the Premier League, but, you know, playing the Bundesliga or in La Liga, Liga, Serie A, whatever it may be, but, you know, to play in Europe, because that's ultimately always been the goal for these Paraguayan players. They they obviously want to be professionals and play for, their boyhood clubs or, or whatnot. But in the end, you know, they want, they want to play in Europe. You know, they, they, they're they inspired. They want to be what Miguel Amaron is and, and play for the biggest teams in the world and and to be successful as well for their national team. I think there's a... You link it back to MLS there as well. I think there's a really interesting dynamic at play depending on sort of where you're from and how you look at it because sort of being on the ground here in the UK, I'd, I'd personally say that the focus with Almiron wasn't necessarily a Paraguayan playing in the Premier League, but a player who came from MLS for such a big fee to the Premier League, where normally you'd, you'd see transfers from the Premier League going to MLS and you'd see veterans going, it, it, this was a young guy coming from MLS to the Premier League. Where it becomes important, I think, for, for Paraguayans, and it'll, I'm sure it'll be the same for, say, Diego Rossi, when, when he eventually gets his move and how important he'll be to Uruguay. I think where it becomes important is where MLS is that middleman, um, and sort of Almiron's success shows Paraguayans that, say, for for example, Eric Lopez sort of following in his shoes, this guy can go to MLS, he can be a success there, and your big European teams will take a chance on him. So it's not necessarily, I think, the perception in Europe of not quite necessarily with the nationality, but with the league and I suppose with, with MLS tapping that South American market, that could only be a positive anyway, regardless of what the perception is in, in the UK. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think um, when you look at that as well, you know, he's, he's kind of really trailblazing on two uh, different markets. Obviously, the Paraguayan market, because obviously you're seeing a Paraguayan play in the Premier League, but also just realizing that perhaps in MLS, uh, uh, still relatively a young league um, that's a little over 20 years old, 
seeing the success and, and the and the formula where they're getting a young South American go into MLS, be successful there, and then later springboard them into a top European league, in this case, the Premier League. So, I mean, mm-hmm. it, it seems like everything's been checked off so far. I mean, you're not going to convince everyone and say, oh, I want this player to to go into MLS, be the top goal scorer, you know, win multiple trophies, and then do the same thing in, in the... Um, in the big European leagues. I mean, it, it's likely that could happen, but it's not going to be the case for everyone. So y- you work with baby steps. And I, I think this move is a, is one baby step for, for both the leagues uh, where they're like thinking, okay, you know, where can we find the, the next Miguel Maron? That's maybe what MLS is thinking um, for the young players that you had mentioned, like a Diego Rossi um, and, and, and many others that are coming about as well, they're thinking there's maybe the Premier League is now thinking, okay, we need to go and tap that market in MLS as well, where we could take a chance. And and with the, the sport of of the of soccer rising much and much more in, in the United States, uh, it, it allows teams to to give a chance on them, not just in the Premier League, but you know, in Serie A, in, in the La Liga, in the Bundesliga, so on and so forth as well. So. It's a mixture of everything, and maybe Miguel Marón, even though he perhaps isn't known or at least was like heavily involved in that, could be could play a part of the influence that both the leagues of MLS and obviously the big European leagues could have, and also for the Paraguayans that want to go to MLS and do the same thing. I think it it really comes at an interesting time as well, um, by. By no intention of anyone, I, I don't want to make a positive out of a global pandemic, you know, because it's, it's been a terrible time for anyone and for everyone. But strictly in a, in a footballing sense, with with what's gone on in the world and and the financial implications, the, even even Premier League clubs, Bundesliga clubs, La Liga clubs, they're, they're going to be looking for more bargains now. The a certain select group of clubs can probably still go out and make big signings, but beyond that. Most teams in most leagues now are, are going to be searching for a player on a budget and and someone they can they can take a chance on with with much lower risk and that MLS market I think offers a lot to Europe in that respect where you know the the fee that was paid for Almer on year in a, in a MLS respect it was a massive amount of money it was it was the biggest export the league had ever had but if you look at a, at a European point of view it was quite a small fee but. If if these if these clubs know that you can buy players from MLS and they can have success and it's for a much much lower fee than you get buying say Premier League to Premier League, I think more clubs are going to be drawn to do that in in the current climate. Well, and to stick with that Atlanta United thread, let's let, let's talk about the aforementioned Eric Lopez. He was loaned to Atlanta United's B team, and the completion of his transfer will trigger at the beginning of next year. Uh, as an eighteen year old, admittedly. We've gone back and forth, Roberto, on on whether or not we should try and talk about him, and 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 Chris and I and and, and Brady had d- basically decided we just don't know enough about him. But one thing I can say is that based on his interviews in recent weeks, he's very excited to be stateside. What what can you tell us about this young forward? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I had the privilege of interviewing him when he was first announced by Atlanta United to um, on my podcast, Alumni Football. And you know, I think he is very excited to go into a, a new country into a league that I'm sure him alongside many other Paraguayans are starting to feel the influence that Miguel had a couple of years ago when he joined and, and understand that, you know, I could be successful in this team. And given the fact that he can also, he is coming from the same country can also apply 
a little bit of pressure, um, not a lot, but a little, because of just that that weight that Miguel put on Atlanta in such a short amount of time, despite them playing two completely different positions. And getting on to that, I think with Eric Lopez, you're getting a young forward that, you know, maybe it doesn't work as a number nine. Um, I think that's his main position as a striker, but, you know, could work as like a second forward or, or a winger as well, um, even as a number 10 if he needs to. But he's definitely that attacking mind player that can play um, and, and, you know, ha- has good balance, good strength, um, you know, obviously an eye for goal. Um, he only had made his debut for Olympia um, last year um, where he scored, I believe, four four or five goals in his first 10 matches. So for, wow. for yeah, exactly. For a young 17 year old to do that on your debut season at a big club like Olympia, probably the big, the biggest club in all of, in all of Paraguay, um, it, it, it can surge you. It can give you a lot of interest. And so I think with Lopez, you're getting a player that is one for the future. Uh, that's definitely one for the future for Atlanta because, you know, you're looking at players that are on the coming up like Ezekiel Barco um, and, and many others, I think with Lopez, you know, you're getting someone that is going to be uh, just gelled into the second team if he does get his opportunities and then into the first team when he's a teenager and that hopefully he can start to understand more of how MLS works, how the American game works and how Atlanta United works, of course, depending on who they get as a manager. So, no, I think you're getting a really an exciting player that is very mature beyond his age. You know, I was surprised when I was watching those interviews and obviously interviewing himself, just like how mature he is, um, how humble he is, and and how he's like just very excited to come into a new country and to know about it. And so, you know, he, he was the captain of his, of his youth teams, at, um, at Olympia, you know, you 17s, you 15s, and so on and so forth. So clearly he has that leadership mentality already given to him. And so I hope and expect that he can provide that same sort of personality on and off the pitch when he does uh, suit up finally for Atlanta. And Chris, I know, I'm sure you're, especially after the MLS's back tournament and Atlanta showing, uh, and after watching what you got to see of them last year and and really seeing what what sort of hole got left by Miguel Almiron's departure um surely this is something that's exciting for you to hear that that Eric Lopez is is the kind of guy who's not necessarily your out and out number 9 but is there to be as supportive as possible to to the center forward because in in an attacking sense the the big issue has been that Joseph Martinez does not have the support. And while there are a couple of guys like like Pity Martinez and, and and some of the guys that we've talked about in past episodes that are looking to fill that supporting role, to have to have a kid like Eric Lopez being sounded off as as mature for his age and somebody who's somebody who's very attacking in terms of mindset and very supportive in terms of his his style of play, um, surely that's gotta be music to your ears. Yeah, definitely. I mean, just judging from the highlight reels and and sort of scout reports that I've I've taken a look at to to sort of get up to speed on the guy, he does look like a perfect fit for Atlanta. Um, I think the most attractive part of his game is his versatility. Um, Joseph Martinez aside, I think most of the other forwards that Atlanta have tended to sign over the years and, and sort of in the DP department and sort of in the big name department have been really versatile. You know, he's not the club anymore, but another Paraguayan, you know, Tito Villalba 
was very much sort of he, he played either but he played on both wings, but he could also play through the middle. You see that Pete Martinez, he, he probably excels on the left, but he can play as a ten. He's been tried as a false nine. Same with Ezekiel Barco, you know, playing anywhere across the front three or as, as a midfielder in a in a more attacking system. And I think Lopez is really gonna slot into that sort of fluid forward line and we don't know how Joseph Martinez is gonna come back after his injury, so chances are maybe Lopez is getting prepped to be that that new centre forward, but if not, you know, we're seeing doubts over Ezekiel Barco's fitness now. Um, I'm pretty sure he's lining himself up for a move to Europe anyway, so it might be that he goes on that right flank or the left flank. So his, his versatility definitely puts him in good stead to, to sort of hit the ground running once once he's trusted for the senior team. Well, and another one that I want to come on to before we run out of time here is Cecilio Dominguez. This is a player that we all can't wait to see, but unfortunately we do have to wait. He's officially completed his move to Austin FC in preparation for their inaugural MLS season in 2021, and he's moved back down to Paraguay to join Guarani for the remainder of the year. He's had an interesting few years plying his trade in Mexico with America before joining Independiente in Argentina last year. 18 months later, he set the stage to join the MLS with Austin. Dominguez Roberto strikes me as a dynamic winger that isn't necessarily your output forward, but is a crucial part of the build-up phases of play. How do you think he'll fare in the MLS? Well, I think it comes at a right time for someone like him. I think it's um, it's a player that obviously is very talented and and has definitely demonstrated what he can in the times that he did at, not just at Cerro Porteño when he really had his breakout years, but at Club América in Mexico and then at Independiente, even though if it was for a short amount of time. I think you really are getting a player that is very quick. I think definitely has a good eye for, for goal. You know, could function well as a winger and, and, as you mentioned, maybe a midfielder if he needs to be. He's good on set pieces, very multifunctional. And so I really see a player that I think Austin FC are... Perhaps, I don't know if they want to take a gamble, but or maybe look into the kind of formula in saying that, okay, we want to build a team around him or at least have him be the vocal point uh, up front. But, you know, there are obviously cons for him. I mean, perhaps his defensive contribution isn't as great. You know, he can have some bad uh, tempers at times, you know, likes to pick up cards as well. So, and obviously perhaps injuries didn't help him see him at his best at his two clubs in Mexico and in Argentina. So it really is a interesting case for someone like him. But again, I, I think he comes in at a right time of his career. You know, he's 26, so he's right there in the prime of his career. And and maybe just another opportunity that he can really flourish into, obviously, a new team where anything goes, really. Like, it doesn't matter if you're going to finish last or you're going to be champions of MLS. And that depends, obviously, on what the players that they get. But... Having said that, playing devil's advocate, I think we really will see a player that I, I would expect will flourish, um, given the consistency that he can get and, and escape from injury. Then I think Austin FC can really find a, a good player that can help them um, in the long term. Well, and you would have more detail about the 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 sort of minutia of his career in terms of his his standing in the squad. But one of the things that I've found when doing a little bit of research on Dominguez is that um, one thing that'll be interesting to see while at Austin is whether or not he'll be able to to flourish as being that main man. You know, at, at the very least, uh, w- when he was at America and when he was at Independiente, he was by no means the the, the main attacker, uh, let alone one of the main players on the pitch. He was, he was very much more of a supporting role, not only in the minutes that he played, but his role on the pitch. Whereas you would have 
have to assume not only signing him as a DP, but also with Austin being a brand new club, not playing their first game until next season. You know, he's coming in as their as their DP forward. And it'll be interesting to see how he how he mantles that responsibility and, and whether or not that changes that changes his effectiveness in terms of output. Yeah, definitely. I think it really will be interesting to see. Um, and, and again, we, we have to see who else Austin FC are going to get. But just like looking at the, the this transfer and obviously the first one that they made, um, they're really looking into a mixture of bringing in young talents um, and bringing in experienced talent that can hopefully find that kind of formula of, of, of hopefully functioning properly in a in a league where you're seeing so many different forms of ideologies if you want to go for it and and just and work from there i think that's that's the easiest um perception that i can make so far with these two signings i think the uh the, the dominguez one's quite a smart move on, on austin's part purely if you compare it to some of the other expansion teams that have come in in recent years um you look at cincinnati's lack, lack of goals last season into miami have struggled this season Nashville has looked good defensively, but not really been that effective in the final third. I think, as Dylan mentioned, he's not necessarily a, a pure output kind of forward, but getting someone with his experience and really in the prime of his career could be really important because I think that's something that we, we've seen the expansion team really suffer with is, is finding someone who's who's got that experience and decisiveness in the final third. Well, and to couple that experience with some of the youth that, that Roberto was talking about, another player who is currently at Guarani, who has recently been signed by Austin FC and is also Paraguayan, is Rodney Redes, who's uh, at Guarani on loan, uh, again, uh, also signing for Austin FC. A younger winger at 20 than Dominguez with a bit more hype around him in terms of his potential development ceiling. This kid is exciting to watch. Does does he come in as an understudy to, to Cecilio Dominguez, Roberto, since both players tend to prefer to play on the left side of the attack? front or do you think he has potentially more of a quick impact on Austin FC's fortunes next year well I think you could work with both uh, if you have to I, I think you know while you are comparing players of different age groups you know Dominguez is 26 um Reyes is 20 I think you still get a player that is just as exciting I think Reyes is similar to Dominguez very what in a very similar fashion you know Good eye for goal, good set piece, has good speed, but also likes to track back when he needs to. I think that really helps him be a bit more important than Dominguez in that sense. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think you really see two similar players with Redes and Dominguez. I think you are getting someone that also just, you know, always wants to score, it seems, and just like always wants to be right there, even though at times maybe just wants to make that that pass to a player instead of just shooting onto goal. There are times that he is like that, but still I think you are getting a, a young, exciting player that has done well at Watani over the first few years of his career, kind of a similar background of what him and Dominguez are, you know, coming from humble backgrounds in Paraguay. I think you, you know, like I said, I, I think you are getting a mixture of the best of both worlds, a young, exciting player that hopefully if it all goes well, that Austin FC can earn a decent amount of money from a big European club. And for Dominguez, you know, getting someone that maybe will be that main factor and, and to learn from it's to help the, the, the team succeed as much as, as they can. So, yeah, it's um, it, it will be interesting to see how they move on moving forward. I think it's great that both players will be hopefully able to play 
uh, alongside each other on the same team um, for the remainder of the year. Um, the Cecilia Dominguez one is not too confirmed yet for what I need, but it's looking more likely that it will happen. And so it's um, it's been fun. To, it's it's been great to see those two players head to the United States and to, to follow the paths of many Paraguayans that are now coming into the MLS and hopefully succeeding in the, in the way that they can. And and yeah, I think it's um, it's going to be very interesting to see what goes on. Well, and 20 seems like a perfect age for him as well. You know, there's I don't really think that there's any any top tier or top flight soccer league in the world where, you know, necessarily a, a 16, 17, 18 year old uh, is going to is going to come in and flourish immediately unless they're a world beater. <laughs> um, but, you know, he's at that age, really, that that, you know, if he were if he were part of Manchester United's youth system, or if he was part of uh, Real Madrid's youth setup, then 20 would be about the age where they would start sending him out on loan to try and further his development. And I think one of the, one of the nice mixtures of the MLS is that with it being a step or a few down um, from in, in terms of quality from your premier leagues, from your Bundesliga, from your Serie A's, these sorts of things, but also still top flight football, you know, 20 is that is, is a great time to be here in the MLS as somebody who's hungry uh, as, as a player who's, who's dynamic and as a player who's looking to develop because you can, you, you have that opportunity, you know, if you go in and you perform well in training and you, and you, you know, put in some good performances out on the pitch, you have that opportunity to insert yourself into that starting lineup and really make an impact while also not necessarily trying to, trying to develop when playing against uh, you know teams like Liverpool or teams like Bayern Munich. So um, I, I can't imagine this being uh, a bad move for him. And and like you said, you know I, I wouldn't be surprised either if he finds himself in that starting lineup sooner rather than later. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think um, it helps him a lot because it gets him to, you know, obviously maybe a different situation of, of Lopez, but, you know, you're getting that guaranteed playing time. You know, you could obviously, obviously you're going to compete to become a starting player and to be consistently playing uh, week in and week out for Austin FC. But at the same time, it's also just, it's a learning process. And, you know, like you said, there are not many players out there with certain exceptions, obviously, that will come into the league and just become world beaters. We don't know if Reyes will be that. We, we just have to wait and see. No, I think it goes well for him, for him to get exposed into a new league, new nation, and to just hopefully expect the best out of him. Because I think that's what, what he needs. He needs definitely that kind of uh, support. And that whatever happens onto the pitch, it's all up to him. I think with, uh, with, with Redes, similar to, to Lopez, just when I was having a little scan over his stats before, I read th- three goals in eight Copa Libertadores appearances so far. I mean, for a young player, again, right, we're a, we were impressed with Lopez's record. That that's incredible in the in the Libertadores. So, yep. not to put loads of pressure on the guy, but I've I've got quite high expectations when he gets into MLS. To be honest, yeah, yeah, definitely, I I do too. And you know how it is with these young players. You, you know they're always exciting and and coming from a kind of a league that is better for lack of a better word foreign to a lot of people that are uh, MLS followers. Mm-hmm. You don't know what could what could happen. You really don't know what could happen, and so it's um, it'll be fun to watch. And I'm confident that he can also do something in a in a new team like Austin FC and, and work from there. 
Well, and to quickly touch on my uh, on my last two here, because I, there, there's a, one more thing I want to come to at the end before we let you go, um, uh, are, are Christian Paredes and Jesus Medina. So to start, um, Paredes has some Diego Chara-sized shoes to fill, and sooner rather than later, considering the, the, the latter's age. Is he ready, do you think, to make that next step once Chara decides to call it quits and hang up the boots, say, potentially in the next year or so? Or... Are the Colombian shoes too large too large to fill at this stage of Paredes' development? You know, I, I actually had the privilege to speak to Paredes uh, during lockdown uh, before the MLS's back tournament. And, you know, he was someone that said that he is feeling very happy at Portland right now, maybe not getting the significant amount of playing time that he expected, but obviously he is very just content at Portland. Yes, it, it will be very interesting to see what does occur to Diego Chara when he does eventually you know, leave for from Portland Timbers. But I, I think in the end, I, I think you see a player that is still young. You know, he's 22 years old. I, he he has technically some experience as well, you know, playing in, in Paraguay and played at Club America, even though it wasn't for a lot. You know, I, I think he, he's at the right place at the right time, but, but it's the case of just getting that consistency and obviously knowing how great Portland are, being a, a, a an important team in MLS, you know, winning the MLS's back tournament and now just going back to the swing of things, hopefully to compete for MLS Cup. It, it will be tough um, to compete for places as well. But I think he's slowly but surely just trying to find his way in. And again, I, I think this helps a lot of players as well when they, they eventually get called up to the national team. Because I think with World Cup qualifiers coming soon and then Copa America as well, I mean, you, you want your players to play consistently and obviously show that you are better than that such player uh, when you're in the in the list of call-ups and just go from there. But I think um, I am confident that perhaps he can make it and that he can do something uh, once Diego Char does make that step to, to leave Portland. Well, well, and I will say what will be interesting with that is, is that um, – Portland are, are a team that are about to go through some pretty heavy transition. And Chris, I think I cut you off. So I, 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 I wonder, honestly, as I continue talking, whether or not you're going to make a similar point. But essentially, you know, this isn't a situation where Diego Chara is the aging talisman of Portland in a in a in a team of, of, of good performers and, and solid players. But, um, you know, Chara is going to need a like for like replacement, you know, with your with your Diego Valeri's, with your Sebastian Blanco's, with your Diego Chara's. You've got a lot of these players who are on their way out. So you have to imagine that Portland are more than likely going to be changing their system, changing their style of play in order to better suit some of these high-profile, high-potential players like like uh, Christian Paredes that are going to be coming into the team in the next year or so. So, uh, Chris, do you see do you see that potentially helping Paredes' development and 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 lining up in that side? Yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously, Chara's not getting any younger, so like as you say, he's going to need a light-flight replacement, but. I mean, I did a, a bit of a brief analysis on Paredes not too long ago, and the, the biggest thing that stood out to me was he really does have potential to be sort of the, the lungs of this this Portland team. And my question to to you, Roberto, probably probably is is he the Chara replacement? Because Chara is a guy who, generally speaking, over the last few years has, has sat in front of the defense and, and broke things up. I, from what I've seen him, I, I see Paredes more of a box to box midfielder and. Maybe we're going to see a different kind of Portland that 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 stops soaking up pressure and starts pressing a bit higher. And I think he might spare that. We we saw a brief sort of a brief preview of that in MLS's back. They, they pressed a little bit more. 
Um, would you say he's more of a box-to-box player rather than a direct Chara replacement? Yeah, I, I think so. I think he does play more of a defensive role. Um, I think we've seen that um, in his time as um, as a player uh, during the course of his career that he uh, does like to play in the defense. But, you know, he, he likes to be that kind of attack-minded player when he needs to. So maybe he's not a direct replacement, but I think he can fill the shoes if necessary um, when the time does come for him. So, yeah, I, I think... Um, I think he's able to hopefully function properly playing as a, as like a number five, you would say, and, and work from there. I think that's the, the more obvious thing that I could, I could really say about it. And the last one that I know we want to touch on before we kind of open it up to you is, is Jesus Medina. Uh, Medina is a player that showcased just how important of a forward he can be to, to NYCFC uh, during the recently wrapped up MLS's back tournament. Uh, but outside of that closed environment, he's not quite hit the heights of his expectations that came with him when he arrived in 2017. In his case, is the sample size of the MLS back tournament more of a showcase of what he's capable of or does he still have a way to go before New York City can rely on his being consistent in terms of end product you know that's the thing as well I mean it really has been tough for a lot of Paraguayans to jump from the Paraguayan league into MLS Um, I think that expectation as well for Jesus Medina is that you know he's still a young player as well. You know this is not someone that's in the prime of their career and not flourishing properly. You know they're still very young, and in a way finding their feet. But you know after two years, you're you're thinking to yourself, okay, wait a minute, let's let's see what we're really getting. And this isn't to say that he's been bad. I mean he's been consistent, you would say, but maybe not to the heights that you are saying that. Yeah, he was a promising player when he did come from the earth. Thought that when he comes into NYCFC, that he didn't make it as well as people thought he would. And that comes to a lot of things as well, you know, injuries, um, also uh, coaching and, and whatnot. So that does play a big role and just how competitive that they can be as well. I mean, that does become a big factor. But I think having what I've seen in the MLS's back tournament, that there is something there. And that, you know, you just give him a bit more hope and give him a bit more opportunities playing up front as that as that attacking um, player that he could do something you know I'm, I'm not saying that he'll be a world beater overnight but I think if he just continues to find his confidence where he's playing week in and week out and scoring goals when he can that he, he'll feel as if more of a, of a comfortable player and that would be perfect for him given the age that he's in as well so I think um I think he's not he's not there yet he still has a few ways to go but I think what we saw and the glimpse that we did in that MLS's back tournament, that there is something there that could be worked on, and it's just a case of just working with it consistently to see if we get something um, in the long term. Um, I'd like to ask quickly, Roberto, um, on Medina. He, he came into MLS at a similar time as, as quite a few other young South Americans did, and really as part of that big wave of change in, in MLS, but what I found interesting is obviously he is a he is a designated player uh, coming into NYCFC with some of the characters that have been in that club. Do you, do you think that that tag has weighed him down slightly, or do you think that him not quite exploding so far has been due to something else? Um, I mean, yeah, like I said, there are factors that are being played. Um, but again, yeah, I think when you do come into a new league, especially a league that is trying to redevelop itself from a retirement league to a, a breeding 
pond of, of young talent coming from South America and expecting them to to showcase their flair uh, to American audiences, it, it can be a bit much, especially when you're coming from a similar country as said players and everyone's assuming that, okay, if you're from that same country where one player is good, that means you automatically have to be good like all the others. So it can weigh a lot of pressure on someone's shoulders, especially at a young age when you're coming into a new country and, and, and trying to figure out yourself, you know, maybe are, are a bit blinded by the, the, the glitz and glamour, perhaps you would say, uh, especially playing in New York City. Um, that's, you get caught up on it. But again, I think every player is different. And I think in this case for, for Jesus, it's just a case of just trying to feel much more confident. I mean, he's, he's had interest from other clubs. Um, this is to say that he's flopped and like, gone back to his native Paraguay like no I, mm. I think he I think we understand that this is a player that is for the future and he's you know still very young I mean 22 years old 23 you're not going to be world beaters as we had mentioned across the entire episode but there there is a time where you're just thinking okay wait a minute what are we working with and how can we get the best out of you and, and, and until Hope until maybe we get someone that perhaps can do a better job than what you can do. It's a cruel world. I think it's that. I think that happens not just in MLS but all around the world, where you know maybe your your fifteen minutes of fame is is gone after a while, and that another one comes in and it's a whole conveyor belt of just talent and talent coming through. So maybe this is just another example of what could be the case for for Jesus. Well, and we've highlighted a lot of players who are currently in the MLS or have played in the MLS that have a have a lot of hype and a lot of excitement around them. But before we let you go, Roberto, uh, who are some other Paraguayans who are either A, at a prime age and ready to make the leap over to MLS, or B, young, hungry, and with a developmental ceiling that either fits the MLS perfectly or could use the United States as a stepping stone into Europe? Well, I, I don't think there are um, there are a lack, I would say, of players. I think there's always going to be someone out there that clubs are mm. always going to look for. And again, we're talking about players, you know, we'd mentioned attackers, which I mentioned, well, forwards, we mentioned midfielders, but we haven't really mentioned a lot of defenders. And, and, and I have one defender that I don't know if he'll make that jump to MLS. Maybe we shall see, but maybe he's on to bigger things and, and head to Europe directly. But there is one name that I, I actually do like to, to talk about in a bit. And ironically, he has the same name as I do minus one letter. It, the guy is Robert Rojas. He plays at River Plate. <laughs> I know, ironic. Um, he plays at River Plate. He's a center back. He came from Guarani as well, the same clubs as Ronnie Redes. And he came into last year, and obviously, I think many of both of you guys know how important River Plate is in the continent as one of the giants, if not the giants, of, of South America for quite some time. That coming into a team with that kind of pressure as maybe the biggest in all of Argentina and the biggest of the continent, that you know those are big shoes to fill, and there is pressure. But um, I think when you talk about Rojas and what I've seen so far, he's been a, a popular player. By the fans as a as a no nonsense center back that is able to um, produce good tackles, good clearances, um, definitely has the strength and, and just doesn't seem to give up. And I think that, and also the, the speed as well, which is very important. I think if you're a center back, so I, I think it's um, I think it's been great to see someone like him, and I think it would be awesome to see him in MLS, where you know maybe those players are not in the spotlight 
of, um, I mean, even in today's world, like how many defenders are really in the spotlight nowadays um, with certain exceptions. But I think, you know, if MLS does want to just go into capturing those kind of players, that maybe Rojas is one that could maybe find a new challenge where, you know, if he does well in MLS for one or two years, that could even suit even more of an interest and, and get uh, bigger clubs across the world, in Europe specifically, out to get out to buy him. So I, I don't know if that would be the case. I would rather see him as, unfortunately, would be bad for MLS fans, but I would like to see him in Europe, maybe from Argentina. Um, you know, that, that's probably the one name I could think of, really, that I think would, if, to fit into your question, that could make that jump um, and, and use that as a developmental ceiling. You know, he's still young. He's 24, so, you know, still quite young and, and can use that to hopefully make a big jump into Europe. But, you know, there, there's I think there's always going to be the demand. I mean, I could go and talk about Eric, um, what's his name? Ivan Franco, a, a attacking midfielder slash center forward at Libertad, who's also one another young gem. Um, <laughs> there's also the mention of a, there's a, there's a funny story that was made in Paraguay a couple of years ago where a, a 15-year-old kid named Fernando Ovilar was starting in the Super Classico for Cerro Bordeño against Olympia. So they're the two biggest teams. And he was playing uh, in the biggest game of his career at, at such a young age. And, you know, he's still 16, 17 and still developing into obviously a player. But um, maybe that could be another one where you're like, all right, he kind of had the experience at such a young age. Maybe that would be good to, to convince him to go into MLS and to really showcase himself at such a young age as a teenager that by the time he's 19, 20, 21, he can make that jump into Europe and then start his career where he's already had experience in, in two big leagues before he hits his, his 20s. So that, that's another example that I like to play. But I think um, I think the demand is there and you know, kind of going back into, into full circle into everything that we talked about, young Paraguayans is that we're seeing a generation of players that hopefully can help this team moving forward because I think that's what Paraguayans want. They want to see their players succeed, but at the same time, they're like, okay, we also want them to do well for their national team because that's what matters. As cruel as that seems for a lot of people and you know, many, especially coming from a nation that expects so much and has that much history, you know, we want to see our best players perform all over the world and then to do the same thing for the national team to qualify to significant tournaments such as the World Cup and to perform in continental competitions like the Copa America. Not saying to win it, but to do consistently well. But um, you just have to work with what you have and and go from there, I would say. You mentioned uh, Rojas there, Roberto. I think if he can come in and, and sort out the notoriously inconsistent defending that goes on in MLS, then I think that even stands above Miguel Almiron's MLS Cup achievement. I think he'll get his, he'll get his move from, uh, to Europe just from that, to be honest. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly i think um would be a nice story too i mean like who wouldn't want to who wouldn't want to support a player that uh it's a funny story that i actually like to mention uh speaking about rojas um so as you know with the whole pandemic that's occurring with Par- with uh south america being a hot spot of many cases um the leagues have been suspended in argentina and so all the players that were based there had to go back to their native country if they were able to travel and stay there and train and do whatever they want. That by the time their training sessions are back to the restart of their leagues, they have to come back. But the curious, the curious story about um, Rojas, he comes from a, 
of a more uh, poor background, you would say, you know, a country boy, you would say, it comes from a, a city that is probably a town that's like 200, 300 miles north of the capital. And, mm. you know, so what he did was, this was a couple of weeks ago, he had to report back to replace his coach told him that he had to come back, but there are no flights available because the country's closed. The borders are closed between Argentina and Paraguay. So the only way that he was able to do it was to drive. So the travel, so what he did was he traveled from Paraguay, from Asuncion, all the way to the border to Argentina, or at least the closest border. But the issue was because of certain rules, you can't drive physically in that same car you were in when you left Paraguay. So what River Plate did was get someone from Buenos Aires to drive all the way up to the border so that Rojas would have to literally walk from the border on Paraguay from one car and then go into a different car and then travel back to Buenos Aires in a, I think, 20-hour trip or something. So that's, uh, yeah, and, and this, is, this is also a player that also likes to go back to his farm um, and, and work in the field despite them making a decent amount of money, at least six figures or something, uh, playing for one of the biggest teams in all of, all of South America. But he, he goes in and, and enjoys his vacations of helping out his family in, the, in, this, in this farm town and, and go into the field and, and help cut off uh, plants and, and stack corn and, and help on barbecues and everything like that. Um, why wouldn't you want to support a story like that if he ever does come to MLS? Well, and to talk about that, to talk about a character that you want to be able to bring into your club, how about that? You know, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think, um, and hey, you know, us Rojas have to support each other. So, who am I to go? Who am I to go against someone like him? Who am I to go against my namesake? And, and Portland Timbers can never complain about having to take a charter flight to Atlanta ever again, based on that story as well. <laughs> exactly, right? Exactly. <laughs> Awesome, awesome. Well, this has been this has been exciting. It's been enlightening, but we do need to go ahead and bring it to a close. Roberto, uh, again, thank you so much for for spending time with us. Uh, it's been a it's been a while, and it's been great to chat with you, and great to have you back on the World Football Index podcast on the uh, North American Soccer Show. Let us know where we can find you, um, and, and let us know what you've got uh, in the works over the course of the next couple of weeks. And uh, and Chris, I'll come to you after. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. It was a real pleasure. Um, as uh, you could obviously follow me on the Loma Football Podcast as well that I mentioned. You know, we're obviously getting back into the swing of things with uh, the, the leagues restarting despite the season already ending a couple of days ago. We have to go all the way back to the start of the season now. And um, yeah, every Monday we're doing new episodes. So be sure to tune that where we're talking about the world of football. I'm sure we'll be talking about Lino Messi for quite some time now with all this controversy that's occurring. But um, yeah, just follow me on Roberto Rojas 97. You know, I'll obviously be following the Paraguayan players from all over the world, not just in MLS. Um, Obviously, whatever transfers that might be occurring, I'll obviously be on top of it. And yeah, um, follow me there for all the basic stuff about soccer and and even sports as well. You know, I mean, I I like to watch the NBA as well. I mean, we're in the middle of the playoffs. Um, I mean, the MLB season is also mid-season as well. I think those are the only sports. I mean, you have NHL as well. I don't really watch it, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm an open book, I should say. I'm, I'm not going to discriminate over any sports whatsoever. So, yeah, just follow me there. And, yeah, thank you so much for having me again. Really appreciate it. 
Excellent. And Chris, uh, where can we uh, where can we find you as always? And and what sort of stuff have you got concocting this week? I know there was a, a couple of teasers on Twitter. I'm not sure if it's time to spill the beans just yet or or, or not. Yeah, um, I've the, the most I'm going to say right now is New York Red Bulls fans and Cavalry FC fans in Canada. Keep an eye out on my Twitter feed and World, Fo- World Football Index's Twitter feed. Got a couple of really interesting interviews coming up. Uh, you can find me at CJ Smith ninety one. I think I think like Roberto and everybody else on the planet right now. I'm gonna be sitting tight and watching which MLS team manages to convince Lionel Messi to come over to the states. Oh, <laughs> right there at the end, you get us with it. All right, and just before we go and before I, I plug myself, um, the least important person on this podcast, I, I do want to give a shout out to World Football Index's Patreon. Uh, we pride ourselves on on bringing you our content absolutely free and for being ad free. And we'll continue to do so to provide the best user experience to our readers and listeners. If you like what we're doing and hearing and, and want us, want to help us keep bringing you that content, feel free to join as a patron on Patreon. You can contribute $3 a month and feel warm and cozy knowing that you're a major part of World Football Index. At $6 a month, you gain access to our special Colombian Spotlight series that goes in-depth with Simon Edwards from inside the country, as well as at least two extra WFI episodes a month and a football city guide that comes covers the culture and environment of a South American city and just how intertwined football is with it. Go to www.patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash World Football Index to find out more. I've been your host, Dylan Baker. You can find me on Twitter far less active than these two at at D-L-N underscore B-K-R. And this has been a Paraguayan scouting episode of the North American Soccer Show. We will see you next week.